Welcome to the Successful Farming Podcast. I'm Lori Boyer. Today, I welcome in Travis Taylor. He is the Golden Plains Area Colorado State University Extension Livestock Specialist. Today, we will be talking about buying bulls and genetic testing for commercial herds. But before we get to those topics, Travis, I like to get to know my guests a little bit more and their backgrounds. So if you will, Travis, give us a rundown on your background. I grew up on a small ranch in southeastern Colorado, the short grass country of Colorado, south of Lyman, south of I-70. And at that time, we had about 400 head of mother cows is what my dad's operation was. And I'm still involved with that today. My wife and I have somewhere in the vicinity of 50 of our own that we run in conjunction with dad's 280. With drought years, we're down to about 350. graduated, went to Northeastern Junior College in Sterling, Colorado, on to Colorado State University, where I was competitive on both livestock judging teams there. Got an opportunity to coach at the University of Wyoming for seven years as their livestock judging coach, and then came back to start a high school ag chapter in my hometown of Carville, Colorado. Retired, went to the ranch, the drought, 2011 kind of forced me into something else, walked into the wrong commissioner meeting and got into extension as a livestock specialist uh, dealing with youth development and ag. And and since 2019, I have been the Golden Plains area livestock specialist. They're the five counties in northeastern Colorado that account for 25% of the largest commodity sold in Colorado, and that would be beef. So 25% of the sales in Colorado come out of my five counties. Well, we could talk about a lot of different things when it comes to our topics here today, which is buying bulls and genetic testing. Let's start off with buying bulls. So a general question to you, what should producers think about? What should they look for and know about when buying a bull? Well, I think the first thing we need to be considering, Laurie, is what are we wanting to improve in our cow program? I think it's just like anything. I think we need to set our goals before we head off to the sales this fall or next spring when we're trying to buy bulls for genetics. A lot of people get the sale catalog in the mail and you'll see all the journals and ads and everybody's got bulls for sale. I think it's really interesting, but unless you have a plan, unless you know what you're going to want to do for your operation, And where you want to start, I think that can be very frustrating because we go to a sale, we want to buy the best bull possible, but we don't always buy the bull that best fits our operation or meets our operational goals. And I think we can save ourselves some time and money if we do our homework first. So for instance, if I can give an example, something along the line of, First, defining what our goals are. Am I a terminal livestock commercial producer who is turning out bulls on mature cows? Am I raising my own replacement females and I need to be able to have some maternal ability in this bull to put those cows back in my herd? Am I just trying to maximize my weaning weight? Or am I a producer who's going to retain ownership and I want to make sure that I have a product to put on a grid-based marketing system at the end of this breeding program? So 
I think you need to step back first before I go to that sale and say to yourself, what are my goals? Where am I going to go with this beef herd? What is going to make me the most profitable? And that usually starts with how am I marketing these cattle or how are these cattle designed to go forward in my breeding program? So I think the first thing we need to do is step back and take a look. Then, second, I would move on to the fact that when I get that catalog, we have all kinds of things, and you and I are going to talk more about genetics, but we have expected progeny differences. We have indexes that different breeders put together on their own. We have five-star calving ease bulls. We have three-star calving ease bulls. We have disposition scores. We can be inundated with the amount of information that is now available to us when we go to marketable. I think we need to take time to weed through all those EPDs and dollar indexes and come up with those that are maybe important to our operation. So if I'm like my father, who's 83 years old, still running cows, I don't want to be having to calve a bunch of hard calving cows and try to manage those around there. So calving ease is probably going to be more important to me. And I think that's where it starts. If you look at bull buying prices, if we look at the number of stars, I think we can just about add $1,000 for every star on calving ease in a catalog to a bull's price. So if I'm a individual who is not using bulls on heifers and I have a mature cow herd, maybe I can back off on calving ease, increase my weaning weight and focus on maybe weaning production. And then I can come back and maybe buy a bull that's going to move me in a profitable direction more efficiently. So we look at all these different metrics we have we can get inundated. We need to step back and take a look at those and decide which ones are going to be right to fit our operational goals. Travis, when you are buying bulls for a breeding program, what is the typical age of a bull that you would buy? Well, I think most of the time anymore, we're a lot of the top genetics are those bulls that are coming out as yearling bulls. We have what I would call yearlings, a lot of purebred. Breeders are trying to sell their bulls as yearlings. We have a few that are selling age-advantaged bulls. Those are bulls that are somewhere between 14 and 18 months of age. So they may be a fall-born bull that we're selling when they're 18 months old. Those bulls can cover a few more cows. We also have a few breeders. I just got a flyer in the mail the other day from a breeder that's selling a set of 100 head of two-year-old bulls. So when we're buying these bulls, the majority of them are purchased between 12 and 14 months of age, and fewer and fewer are 18 and 24 months of age. So when we look at that, some of our elite genetics, particularly in the seed stock side of things, are being purchased when they're 12 to 14 months old. And how long does an owner typically keep the bull around? Well, that's a very good question, Lori. I think a lot of those individuals would like to get four breeding seasons out of a bull. So if we've got a bull that we buy as a yearling, 
he's not going to be able to cover as many cows as, say, a two-year-old. He's also not fully developed at 12 months of age. He's going to continue growing till he's a two-year-old. So there's a different nutrient requirement. There's fewer cows that they can cover. So there are some advantages to buying older bulls. They're just harder to find because those same advantages to the buyer are disadvantages to the seller having to feed that animal, particularly with some current hay prices and feed prices that we have to get him to two years of age. So that's why a lot of our bull producers have gone to selling yearling bulls because bulls, as most commercial cattlemen know, they're very good during the breeding season and the rest of the year, they're kind of a pain in the neck. Whether they're bending up corral gates or just playfully rubbing on a fence post or if they're wanting to go visit the neighbor's cows, it's hard to keep those under lock and key. So I think a lot of the times those individuals that buy yearling bulls, we maybe turn them out and overuse them. They kind of say for every month of age that a bull goes, you can add an extra cow. So if we're looking at a yearling bull that's 14, 15 months when we turn him out, that's about the number of cows that we should probably be asking him to breed as a yearling. If he's 24 months of age, he's going to cover 25 to 30 cows. There's some guys that take the opportunity to run a bull in multiple bull pastures where they have more than one bull in a pasture, maybe with 35, maybe 40 cows if he's a mature three or four-year-old bull. As we look at that, I think we get to some of the dilemma that the average number has been a bull to 25 cows for commercial producers. But if we've got 50 cows and two yearling bulls, that may be a stretch on them. So we want to make sure that we're taking care of those bulls, maybe pulling them in and giving them a little extra feed when they come off in the fall, because those yearling bulls will run around trying to catch up with cows more than a mature bull will. Travis, another question I have for you, is it best to buy bulls that are already in your geographic region? I'm thinking things like climate, like elevation, those types of things. Well, I think sometimes we don't pay as much attention to that as we can. There's a lot of bull sales there. It's always nice to go looking. And unfortunately, I have some producers that take their vacation and go out of state and buy a bull out of state. And that's what they use as their vacation plan. I think sometimes they pass up on some breeders that are right next door, you know, because those genetics that are raised right across the fence line from you or just down the road are in the same geographic and environmental area. So particularly if you're talking high altitude with pulmonary arterial pressure scores where we have our PAP scores, where we can deal with some high altitude disease, as they call it. I think that's a definite advantage for those producers in our high altitude areas. You know, the Montanas, the Idahos, the Wyomings, Colorados, even the higher portions of New Mexico, that that's a real problem. So buying a bull that's maybe been raised in that environment that you know is has the ability to live at those higher altitudes, that is very important to those individuals. Now, if we go into Kansas and Oklahoma, you know, if I go buy a bull out of Montana and bring him down there, he's probably not as acclimated. He's probably not been raised on the same types of forages, maybe not in the same fashion. The genetics may be there, 
but the genetics may not fit our environment if we start keeping replacement heifers out of them. So I think a bull buyer, sometimes just because we go down the road, we drive right past our neighbors, go on down the road and buy a bull out of state, bring him in. Those genetics that were successful in one environment may not be as successful in ours. And he's probably going to cost us more in terms of us getting there, us transporting him back, getting that bull in line. So it's important to find the right genetics for you, but don't overlook, as you're saying, those genetics that are in our breeders that are right in our immediate geographic area. Do you have any particular recommendations on where you purchase the bulls, whether it be a private sale, an auction? Is there any pros and cons in what you suggest where people actually buy them? Well, we always want to be careful biosecurity issues. You know, we're going to bring something in. So we want to quarantine something that comes into our operation. I would say that when we look back at that, a private auction or an auction, you have the ability to go and do that. So we'll have private treaty sales. We'll have private auctions. We'll have video auctions. We can buy bulls online. We can buy bulls from those individuals that bring them to a local auction barn and go through there. There's advantages and disadvantages. I think anytime you bring an animal in, we want to make sure our biosecurity is in place and have them quarantined. That's what I want to say about that for at least 30 days on a bull. I have too many producers that come and get a bull and they haul it directly to their pasture and put it out in the pasture with their cows. Two things happen we're exposing to a higher risk of disease factors that maybe our herd's not seen. That's just because those bulls may have been exposed to something in their life that maybe my cow herd's naive of. The other issue we have is we come directly from a maybe lauded situation where that bull's been on a high energy grain ration. We're going to turn him out on pasture we're going to change his diet. And if that causes him any kind of illness, we get a decrease in fertility. And the start of breeding season is not a time of year when you want to see your bulls show a decrease in fertility and the viability of the semen that they're producing. So I think for that reason, I encourage most of my producers to get a bull 30 to 45 days before you want to turn him out. 60 would be better. Get him out of a pen if he's been in a lotted pen, turn him out in some pasture, harden his feet up a little bit, determine if you're going to have any problems in terms of getting him over on a roughage or forage-based diet, and have him hardened off and ready to go for the breeding season. I think there's some issues there that sometimes our producers aren't aware that they're causing themselves. Most of those bulls will come back in that fertility after that diet change and breeding season. But if we miss 21 days on the front of our cow herd till that bull comes back, we're causing ourselves a problem that we don't necessarily need to have. All right. Let's talk about genetic testing now that we have a background on what we should be looking for and thinking about and analyzing as we buy bulls. Now on the genetic testing side, how does that play into making decisions, whether it be bulls or just your herd in general and what's best for it? When we're buying bulls that come from a a purebred breeder that have a pedigree and a record and have EPDs. We have developed a lot of genomic testing that we're able to do with these bulls. 
And what that has allowed us to do with the larger databases, Angus, Red Angus, Simital, Charlay, Hereford, those more common breeds that I see, at least in our area, are cattle that we now have a database on. And we know the performance of multiple ones. So if we can do some genomic testing, what that does is increase the accuracy of those expected progeny differences that we have. So on the bull side, genomic testing allows us to, instead of starting with an EPD that may be a 10% accurate, okay, we can start with an EPD that's 30% accurate. So we eliminate 20% of that variability in what we're actually seeing. So I think as we go forward, particularly if you're buying purebred seed stock and bringing into your operation, we're going to see more of these bulls being genomically tested, having some background, and it's giving us another stamp of insurance that those numbers that we're using to select them on are higher and more accurate in what we will actually expect out of those bulls when we bring them in. How do you do genetic testing? What is the actual method or process? Well, so it's based on DNA, correct? We will either take a blood sample, we will take some hair follicle samples, and we send them off to a couple different companies. Zoetis has some, Neogen has Igenity, Zoetis has Inherit Select, There's several companies out there that are dealing with this, and they've developed this database. So with that being said, it's pretty simple. We can pull some hair follicles and put them in a vial. We have companies that will send you an ear tag that will actually punch it into a vial when you put a tag in them so that you can identify the DNA with a certain individual. And then there is the old standard blood card where we kind of prick a blood vein in the ear and we get a card and we send in some blood for DNA sampling. So it's not rocket science on how to collect it. It can be collected very simply when we're doing other processes. We just need to take advantage of that and maybe take a look at it and get it done. So a couple of examples If we buy a bull and we're in a multi-breed pasture as a commercial cattle producer, and all of a sudden we have a set of calves and one set of calves we're having trouble calving. We have got 10, 15 very large calves that we're having trouble at birth. We can take a blood card on those calves, two or three or four of them, and the blood card on the four bulls, send it off, and for 50 bucks or 100 bucks total, we can get a parentage back on those bulls and determine which one of the four bulls in that pasture may be throwing us our calving difficulties and our problems. So we can use genetic testing in that format as a commercial producer. And I was going to ask you to elaborate more on what the testing is actually for. So that's part of it. What else will a genetic test show you? We have a lot of abilities and these companies are coming up with new ways to use it. As we build these large databases, They've actually got some genetic testing for crossbred cattle as well. You know what percentage you're using. We can bring in our, let's say our, we've got 100 head of heifers. 
and want to genetically test them to identify the 50 we're going to keep. Okay. So it's not exactly cheap. We, we cost us about $30 a head on some of these deals to get a genetic test run. When I say it's not exactly cheap, anybody that wants to spend $3,000 to genetically test their cows probably is going to shy away from that. But if we keep five heifers different, just five head, and those five heifers, because we've been able to select them on a maternal index, give us 50 pounds of calf, and they have six calves over their lifetime, at $2 a pound, we've made our money back. Now, the big advantage is we can test for heifers that may stay longer in our herd. You know, the average cow has somewhere between four to six calves in her lifetime. That's the average cow. If we can select for longevity and we can select five heifers that give us one extra calf over five that we wouldn't have kept, then we're starting to talk about five or $6,000 difference in our profitability in that set of cows. That's on 5% of the 100 head of heifers. If we hit 10%, then we're talking about ten dollars to $15,000 difference out of a $3,000 deal. So if you sit down and you pencil it out and you make these selections based on being able to have cows that are maternally stronger, cows that will stay in the herd longer based on fertility and some other things that we can't normally see, I think then we really start to see where genetic testing can come in and be a profitable tool for the commercial cattleman. Should you test both the cow and the bull? I tell you what, I think it gets expensive. If you're buying bulls that are already genomically tested, you're probably on the front end of this and taking some advantage of it. Then if you combine that with genomically testing your replacement females as they come in, you have a better opportunity to match breeding schemes, to figure out what you need to improve. It goes back to what we said. What are the goals of the operation? What areas do I need to improve in and which bulls can I buy to match that? So I think it gives you an advantage when you select 50 out of 100 heifers to maybe test at least 60 or 70 of the ones that you're thinking about keeping and make that 5 or 10% shift that you wouldn't normally have done based on the records that you get. Travis, how often during the year should you do testing? So I would do it once a year. Because, I mean, once we test it genomically, we're the, the DNA in that animal is not going to change. So we're going to test them once in their lifetime. We're going to test them probably either at weaning time, if we're going to make a selection a little later as we're backgrounding calves or we at the end of weaning, before we make those selections and get them back. So... If we're running through calves through and giving them processing shots to wean them and background them, it would be a great time to take some DNA samples on heifers that you think you might want to keep and get those sent off before you make that final selection. So if you're doing any pre-weaning shots, that would be a great time to genetically test a set of heifers that you're thinking about keeping. Is the testing actually done through an extension office or through a private business? It's usually done through a private business and association. Like I said, the two that I have worked with is the Zoetis Company and personally Neogen. Those companies have set up to do this because it does require a little bit and they have the ability to 
tell you where your cows fit in that database. If you need help walking through some of those things, I would come to your extension office and say, hey, look, let's sit down. Let's talk about this. Is this really going to be an advantage for me? You know, if I've got 100 head of heifers, I can live with 5%. If I'm a smaller breeder where I'm only going to keep 10 of the 20 heifers that I produce, or maybe I'm only keeping five of them, if I can keep those cows longer in my system, it's really an economic advantage to me. I don't have to replace as many each year. And I think that's a definite advantage when we start talking about that. Not to mention that the advantage that having longevity in the cow herd can have on just the sustainability of your program and the environment there. Travis, is there anything else you would like to mention here today? Well, I think the biggest thing we want to take into genetic testing is we don't want to do it and then put it on the shelf like we do with some of our other data. You know, we take birth weights and then we put them on the shelf because we forget after that calf's out and raises that that cow's had a 120-pound calf at birth or a 110-pound calf at birth. We forget about it till next year. I like to laugh at the veterinarian that tells me, yeah, I had a cow come in and she's had three C-sections, you know, and the guy forgets each time he brings her back and we've got a C-section scar here and a C-section scar here. And boy, she did raise a big calf, but it's costing him an extra $300 every year to get that calf out of her. We want to make sure that if we're going to go to the time, trouble, and effort that we do implement this. And I think the other thing to think about it's kind of like the time value of money. We can invest $100 and it's only going to be 5%, 10% the first year. We're only going to see $10 of a growth in that. But if we compound that over five to 10 years, particularly in a breeding program, I think the advantages of genetic testing are just on the outside of seeing what kind of cow herds we can build here in the United States with some of this genetic testing. So the other thing I think is doing it once is not necessarily going to see a big bang for your buck. It's going to take those cows that have been genetically tested to have five or six calves of their own. And then you're going to see an increase in those calves, calves and the offspring of multiple years of genetic testing, I think is where we're going to see the big benefit in profitability and in terms of production in some of these cow herds. So don't do it once because it's a fad. If you're going to do it, lean in, stick with it, and use it to help shape the goals and direction of your beef operation. Travis, thank you so much for joining me here on the show today. No problem, Lori. I enjoy it. And if you have any questions, reach out to your local extension program, no matter what state you're in, extension is a valuable tool for you. A big thank you to my guest here today, Golden Plains area, Colorado State University Extension Livestock Specialist, Travis Taylor. And thank you for listening, everyone. For Successful Farming, I'm Lori Boyer.